This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Back with episode 155 of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com. Wow, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, Not a whole lot to say about that. I will just say it's been interesting, man. It's been interesting. And that's not even about the political front and a little bit about what we're going to talk about here in just a moment. Smoke them if you got them. Our fundraiser, our annual fundraiser benefiting organizations that support first responders and law enforcement officers is taking place on Sunday, May 20th at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row in Baton Rouge. It's a big party and I enjoy it. And this is the fifth year we have done the event. And after my conversation with our guest on this week's show, I will tell you who the title sponsor will be because the rollout for the event is coming up within days. And so we'll get into that. Uh, It's such a pleasure to talk to the man who's going to be our guest on this week's show. But first, I want to remind you, you can Please share our show. Tell your friends about what you hear here on the Clay Young Show or on the Waiting Room podcast that is set to return from hiatus next month. Dr. Mary Catherine is now a mother, and that was a big part of the hiatus. And I am so happy for uh, for her and her husband and their new baby and that they're doing well. And she'll tell you all about it when the Waiting Room returns in April. I think that's going to be great. Uh, Our guest on this week's show is Stephen Wagesback, who runs Lobby, and Lobby is the state's chamber of commerce, the Louisiana Association for Business and Industry, and we're going to talk about this boondoggle combined with a quicksand area and a cow pasture filled with all of the things you find on the ground in a cow pasture and some entertainment too, otherwise known as state government. And he's going to be on the show to talk about his perspective on or give you his perspective on why this budget thing keeps happening and what we need to do to do something about it. I'm also going to ask him about the whisper in the wind about him possibly being a candidate for governor. That and more are coming up. I've known Wags for a long time. He's been around a while. Uh, he's an LSU graduate. He also has a Columbus law degree. He, he's been at uh, Lobby for some time now, and he comes to Lobby from state government. He spent some time working in the Jindal administration. And so he's been around. And he's going to talk about what went on. And I'll tell you something, the the story that didn't get told, and for people who are not from Louisiana, this probably will go in one ear and out of the other. The story that didn't get told that got underplayed during the state's special session that took place a few days ago was what took place with the Legislative Black Caucus. That was a game-changing move, an independence of sorts. And I, I want to dig into that as the session goes on. We'll come back to that. And in fact, we will. Also, you heard part one of our conversation on the city of St. George, episode 154, 
we are working on part two of that discussion. And there was a specific group in mind that I wanted to be represented on this subject. And we weren't able to confirm their appearance this week. I think we will for next week. And some of you can probably assume who, who that, that group is. And you may be right. You may be wrong. But you'll find out on next week's edition of the show. So let's take a quick break and come back and talk to Wags, Stephen Wagaspack of Lobby, about what's happening here in Louisiana. And we will do that next. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 mobile app. Clay Young here and listen, if you are trying to sell your home but you want to save money, let me tell you something. Denise Harris with Remax Preferred Choice has the answer. Denise, let's talk about that. Yes, Clay, I'm really really excited to talk about this promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're offering a commission of 3.6%. That's mm-hmm. all you pay. Right. Instead of paying a 6% or a 5%, wow. we're offering you the same services for 3.6%. So you save money, thousands, yes. and what else do you get? You get a full service listing. Okay. And, and professionals, full-time agents that are here to service you. You also get professional photos. Right. That's how people shop now. Professional photos are going to help you sell your property. So don't miss the opportunity to get this help. Contact Denise Harris and Annie McGarner right now. How can people reach you? Give us a call at 291-4440, or you can stop by our office at 3300 North Shore Forest Drive. We're here to service you. That's REMAX Preferred Choice. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Stephen Wagaspack, the head man at the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry. And let me tell you something, y'all missed the best show. They missed brother, they didn't <laughs> they didn't get the best show. The the off the air conversation we just had for 30 minutes. Yeah, let's hope it was the, unplugged. The, I don't no, know. it I, definitely I, I it was. Checked some of the wires I've been around a long time, brother. <laughs> definitely it was. Uh, so The Louisiana special session has come and gone, and as we are talking now, the regular session is just now beginning. We've got this budget crisis that we're dealing with. It seems to be an annual thing that we have this, and actually, it it goes back to Katrina and how decimated the state was, and then the influx of federal dollars, and some of what we did with that after the fact, some by necessity, some in my opinion by some poor judgment that created this reoccurring expense that we have tried to cover with one-time expenditures, one-time money. And and, and I want to go the long way because once you start, I kind of want to stay out of your way when you explain this. Um, we have had Republicans in the House and the Senate talk a lot about looking at what we're spending. And, and some have even been interested in talking about the p- potential for smart tax increases. But they've talked about exemptions. Democrats have said, you know, basically we need we, we shouldn't talk about cutting money until we raise taxes. And now the new thing that you hear is people paying more and business pay your fair share. So let me ask a two part question with that preamble. One, why do we keep getting here? OK, why do we keep getting here? Because we've been doing this seemingly, like I said, every year for nearly 10 years. 
And second, what in your opinion is the best, most reasonable way that Louisiana citizens should expect their government to fix this? And uh, if I may add a third, how long? Now, you know, a long-winded guy like me, that's a, that's a question that's, that but, I but, can go a lot of different ways But this ways is a for. podcast <laughs> that people will get a chance to learn within the answer some things about what's going on. So that's why I set it up that way. But go ahead. No, I appreciate it. So I'm, I'm going to take a step back even a little further for a second. For as long as Louisiana can really get back to the modern structure of our government. You know, I would go back to those early 1920s. I mean, yeah. you, could, you could talk to the Huey era, but basically he was one of a collective of leaders yeah. who, who put together a government which put it all at the Capitol. The yeah. Capitol was the kingmaker for everything. Yep. If local government needed something, a poor person needed something, a company wanted to move here, they had to basically go to the hallways of the Capitol mm-hmm. and cut their deal there. Mm-hmm. Other states structured themselves differently. In other states, if you go to Texas, you're going to the county level, you're dealing with county executives, county right. commissioners, all that good right. stuff. A lot of the tax Taxation you pay in these other states, you pay those taxes local, local d- delivery of items and things like that. In Louisiana, 100 plus years ago, we set up at the Capitol. So over those years, we've always tried to manage this system created 100 years ago. And in the 70s, we were ripping and roaring. Everything was going great, oil and gas everywhere. That's when we created our last constitutional convention in mm-hmm. 1973 mm-hmm. during an era surplus uh, about you know, 50, 60 years after we created the capital-heavy moment. Correct. And so the Constitution was put in place to basically make that model work. Mm-hmm. Since that time, you had the crash of the early 80s. Yep. And I would argue since then, you've had two moments where people were like really wanted to do something big. It was 87 when Romer was elected right. and, you know, literally the state could not pay, you know, state workers right. with, with more than IOUs. And then after Katrina, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. where there was this huge civilian mm-hmm. uprising for a better Louisiana and all that. Absent that, we as a people, we have basically answered to the question of, you know, what do you love about Louisiana? We have said collectively, look, give us the festivals, the the culture, the mm-hmm. family, the faith, all the stuff we love about our state, Correct. and we'll tolerate all the garbage. Right. And we as a people have allowed it to continue. And I think what you're seeing now is the fraying at the seams, the bankruptcy, the implosion, whatever you want to call it, of that contentment and, and mixture of low expectations that we people have had forever in mm-hmm. Louisiana. So right now, the model doesn't work anymore. You can't have a state-heavy approach. And we have the highest sales tax in the nation. Right. Income tax is kind of persona non grata and mm-hmm. ain't going anywhere. And property tax is off the table by constitution. We do too much spending at the state level in education and health care. We try to deliver too much from the state as compared to local. Uh, our budget is one of the largest per capita in the South. It's right. second highest. It's right. going to reach $30 billion by the end of this session. That's right. Um, it is fraying at the seams. And so now we find ourselves in a term-limited legislative process where you mm-hmm. have new members coming in. They're trying to learn the ropes. We have the old 100-year model, which no longer works. Correct. It never ha- has, really. Right. And you can't fund it anymore. And you've got <clears throat> growing issues like Medicaid and pensions that yeah. continue to take more and more of the budget each and every year. And there's nowhere to go. Okay. And so you, all that build up into the last special session. And so we get into a special session. You got these temporary taxes going away on the fiscal cliff. You got about nine hundred and ninety-four million dollars in new taxes the governor wanted. When he presented his plan, he said, "Listen, here's my budget. Ignore it. Throw it away. I don't like it. You don't like it." We, so we had no budget to work off of. Yeah. And he said, "But we need nine ninety-four million in new taxes." Well, you go into the session and there's no budget to work off of. There's been not one cut or reduction that the governor said he could tolerate. Sales tax is at its highest level. Income tax doesn't work. All that stuff I just said, where are you supposed to go when the Constitution says there's nowhere else to go? And so I think what you saw in that last session, the implosion, 
I don't think you're going to see a whole lot more movement in the next session or two. I agree. I think the the chorus for a constitutional convention to go in and revisit that 1974 decision, it is going to hit DEFCON 4 levels pretty soon. And don't be surprised if by the end of this summer, the the, the, the march to a constitutional convention is getting louder and louder and louder. And, and But on the score of what... Is, is that your answer to what the people of Louisiana should expect from their government as a way of solution for this going into a convention, um, you know, making some of the sacred cows not so sacred anymore? Well, is, is that the answer? Well, no, it's, it, I would say in Louisiana, we obviously uh, we are a southern state. We yeah. have a high poverty mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. We've got um, issues of class that we have to deal with. And, right. and those are real issues right. that we right. have to confront. And we have tried an approach from a state-heavy level to fix those things. Mm-hmm. We have said over the years, listen, we're going to you know, go back to those early 20s. Free school books for everyone, chicken in every pot. Yeah. You know, we're going to pave yeah. all the roads. Yeah. Well, 100 years later, we're spending a lot of money, and our schools are not meeting the needs of middle-class kids, rich kids, right. or poor kids. Right. Our roads aren't there, all that. So if we're going to deliver those services, I think there needs to be a transfer of authority, taxation, and regulatory authority from the state to the locals. Mm-hmm. And our parishes have to start being solution-oriented entities. Right now, the parishes just run to the capital for handouts, mm-hmm. and they can't get it. You know, Again, not to use too much of a Texas analogy, if I lived in Texas, I would pay my property taxes and a lot of my sales taxes locally to the county. Okay. And I would expect that county to deliver to me good schools and decent right. roads and right. a healthy economy. Correct. Here in Louisiana, I pay those same taxes through different avenues, but I send it all up to the state, quite mm-hmm. frankly. And if I'm lucky or if my local government has the right lobbyist, it might trickle back down to my county, or my parish. But a lot of times it doesn't. We have no local authority and autonomy for What it. about if, if we took that approach, poorer parishes, like, say, East Feliciana, that doesn't have the affluence of West Feliciana, mm-hmm. or East Baton Rouge Parish that has so much more than West Baton Rouge Parish? How does that work if you're sending it back to the local parishes and and the areas in the parish when they're when you're talking apples and oranges the 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 four lowest per capita state spenders in the south are florida texas georgia and tennessee okay we would trade economies and school systems and roads with all those states today yeah and we're fooling ourselves if we pretend that they don't have real poverty they don't have rural areas they don't have um, education shortcomings sure. with, with all of that. They have all those things oh, yeah. we have, but they don't use it as a crutch like we do. We say because we have those things, we can't change anything. And our only answer is just to pump as much money as humanly possible into the 100-year-old system until it finally works. But how do you fix it? How do you address it? I think that's where the convention comes into place. I think you come in and you shift. I mean, quite frankly, when it comes to revenue, I hate all taxes, to yeah. be honest with you. But having said that, you got to pay some taxes in order to get it work. I would much rather pay... A, a property tax and a sales tax largely to my local government and less income tax to the state because yeah. what it has shown over the years, the income tax doesn't doesn't fix services. Right. You have an income tax rate that is high and exemptions and credits have been used to mitigate that yeah. effect over the years. Yeah. So it creates this un, unstable revenue stream that doesn't work for government or the right. economy. And so we go back into, like you said, the, the constitution that we're working on now is 45 years old. And we're talking about going into a... But, cons- it, but the, that constitution that's 45-year-old... It has been amended how many times now? Uh, 180 <laughs> right, something. Right, right. But also, 45 years ago, it wasn't putting really new ideas in the constitution. Right. It was just bedrocking 
50-year-old ideas at the time. Well, and you said something earlier that I find so interesting about the budget. When Governor Blanco was in office, our budget was in the teens. And now it's... 17.5 billion I knew the, the year. I, I see. I thought I knew that number, <laughs> but I'm older now, so I've, I've learned to not just throw them out. If I, but I, that, that was the number. So $17 billion budget. The year Katrina hit. The, the, in 2005, 13 years later... We are approaching doubling that. We will we will top thirty billion in my prediction by July one. Once we get the new revenue or right. whatever comes in, they'll have, they'll be north of thirty. I think. But the population has not doubled. In mm-hmm. fact, we we experienced some erosion of our population, and it's come back a little bit in the last few years. But for a while, it, it you know because we're we've been hovering between four and four point two, four point four, four point five million people in our state, and there are cities twice the size of Louisiana. So how is it that the budget has nearly doubled and the population has basically been the same? I mean, just kind of talk through that for people who hear that and go, well, wow, yeah. things haven't gotten twice as nice here. So what's the deal? So when you look at a budget, I'll use some rough numbers because it's easier to follow. If you have a $30 billion budget, yeah. roughly half of that's federal, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit even more. Mm-hmm. And so as you do things like invest in roads, uh, health care, Medicaid expansion, things like that, it brings in a federal match. So mm-hmm. some of those dollars are federal dollars. Now, it's still tax dollars and yeah. it cause a match and all that. But even if you take that aside and you get to just the state money that's left, um, a lot of it is dedicated and obligated through other ways. And, and so what's left of a $30 billion budget, about $3.4 that's, that's the number. Is yeah. discretionary. Yeah. And yeah. That's, I, Think I, about that. I call that basically the petty cash fund of right. government. Right. And unfortunately, what we buy out of petty cash every year yeah. is higher ed, mm-hmm. health care, and a big chunk of corrections. And so those three things, think about. Think about yeah, how, we, how, we, how we treat people, that, yeah, health, yeah. how we educate them, mm-hmm. and how we punish or incarcerate or retrain them, whatever you want to call it, right. that's where we pay for petty cash. And so of a $30 billion budget, 3.4 is where we can make those decisions. So that's irrational. Yeah, That is absolutely irrational. So if we don't undedicate and obligate some of those things and make it more discretionary, I don't think you can tax your way out of this. My fear on a, con- on a constitutional convention is this. It is hard to get unanimity on anything in the Capitol. You won't get unanimity. Okay. That won't happen. So... You go to a constitutional convention and you you open up the cupboard, all right? Mm-hmm. And unless there is a way we can be assured that this is going to be done with intellect and and with a focus on making Louisiana better and not political, emotional, either way, we could be asking for trouble. How do we avoid that? Okay, so it's, it's a great point. And I'll, I'll, I'll do one quick history lesson okay. on it. So when we started looking at this about six months ago, we mm-hmm. brought in different groups of our membership, sure. big business, small business, homegrowns, mm-hmm. new guys, all that stuff. And we asked them to take a look at the Constitution. What are the challenges you see? What are the opportunities? Very thoughtful discussion. One of the first things we did is we had Bubba Henry come in and speak to the group and basically tell stories about mm-hmm. the 73 convention. And it's very interesting. Jeremy Alford right now is, is writing a book with Bubba Henry on this oh, very really? issue. So I'm sure it'll be a very fascinating thing to read about. But it was funny to listen to Bubba. Basically, what he said is when the convention came to be back then, it was a little unclear what the mission was, mm-hmm. where they were going with it. It was unclear whether Governor Edwards at the time was going to support it or oppose it and all right. that stuff. Right. An interesting side note, they were meeting in the downtown Hilton because they had nowhere else to meet. But they had to get out of their office space on Wednesdays because that was wrestling night, the Hilton, <laughs> and the ballroom was made for wrestling. So that's the type of era we were in right there. Um, and so all that was going on, and it wasn't until the very end 
that they saw a document come together and mm-hmm. they saw the governor say he would support it and they saw the momentum go to it being passing. But mm-hmm. that whole time, they really didn't know. So I just tell you that one story, whereas if we go to a convention, it is possible that at the end of the day, it doesn't come out with mm-hmm. a successful vote. Mm-hmm. But let's assume for a second a decent document comes out of it. Okay. What I would say is it's going to go directly to the people, and the people right. are going to decide whether they like it or not. And there will be a messaging campaign and all mm-hmm. that good stuff, and you know, it will be hard to kind of figure out where the spin is and the truth. Yeah. I think in today's era, though, with social media yep. and all that, you can get the message out pretty clearly. That part, I think, is actually very good because it, it is going to force an education on the process that, that – people don't have and you you will finally get to know what's really in it because you'll have to pay attention that's right you you'll, you know i remember having a conversation about the louisiana voters and how among voters we are one of the most registered states in america turnout has been you know flaggingly low for the past couple of decades and i say that to, to make the point about apathy in louisiana and you work in the legislature with representing lobby and on behalf of business in the state. <clears throat> but I'm sure you hear from so many people who say, nothing's happening up there. Nothing's changing. They, they don't really care. And that used to be something you heard a little bit before. But now it's becoming the song most people are singing. And that's not good for progress when the public says, they don't care. It's bad, man. Apathy and low expectations are the two biggest challenges that I feel when I go around the state and talk yeah. to folks. And I'll give you a couple of, of quick examples. So one, you know, I go to I go to Texas every now and then, and especially Dallas and Houston, mm-hmm. talk to companies and basically say, look, how can we get more of your investment? How can you get more jobs here? Yeah. What do we need to do? Yeah. And there's kind of a recurring theme I'm starting to hear. Okay. And, and basically what you hear is something like this. You'll talk to a company and they'll say, listen, Wags, you seem like a decent guy and I appreciate you coming here. But let me be honest with you. When this company started 60, 70 years ago, it was my great grandfather. And he was this dude on the bayou who figured out the widget to make. And he was doing that. And his vision, his dream was to build that company down in that area. Right. And then he passed it on to my father and he got it and all that stuff. And it was there. And by the time it came to me, we had to move here to Houston because we couldn't either work for us or torque climate or tax or whatever their, their issue is at the time. And so I'm here, but I went to LSU and I can't wait to move back home. And that's a dream of mine, but you need to know I'm a couple of years away from retiring. And the guy behind me went to high school in the woodlands and went to Texas A&M. And the board that hires him, all is from Texas. And the home team discount is almost done. Wow. And so I love y'all, and I'm a Louisiana guy through and through, but there's a window here, and I'm begging y'all to fix it. I hear that story a lot, which almost is like it keeps me up at night. The other piece is you talk to these service companies, and these are small mom and pops all throughout Acadiana especially. When you Mm -hmm. go up to Lafayette, go south on 90, all the way down there, all these service companies. And – they're just, they don't know what to do. They're laying people off. They're, they're, they're retrenching, waiting for that other moment. But a lot of the oil and gas investments not coming back in South Louisiana because of lawsuits especially. And so these are real Louisiana homegrown people that right. we always prop up. And they're scared of having to move out of state. They don't want to. So, man, those are real issues. And when you try to talk to other industries about that, to get to that apathy piece is, these are, these are successful individuals that have created companies, and they, they've been through obstacles and all that stuff, and you talk to them about fixing Louisiana, and a lot of times what they'll tell is, like, I don't, I don't know if it's fixable. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I agree, and I I agree with you. It is every day fixed. of my yeah. life pounding against that message, but we need to know going in right. that sentiment is growing, not shrinking. So long-term vision for me is so lost in politics now. You know, I'm 
I'm a big study of Abraham Lincoln and, you know, favorite president. I find him to be maybe the most fascinating elected official we have ever had in so many mm-hmm. ways. And, you know, his long term vision and how he was able to articulate through, at, you know, at his address of Congress. And he talked about the scourge of slavery and all of these things and our brothers in the South and and kind of laying it out. Enemies and supporters alike knew where he was going. Mm -hmm. Now, when people talk about politics so often, it's in the soundbite. It's to score the point today. And then it becomes, okay. well, tomorrow somebody's going to best you on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. And what gets lost in it is how the hell do we fix what's broken? And I think that's a problem for people because and then they get caught up in the, you know, the tit for tat on the schoolyard. And it again the budget deficit is still coming. So let's get into that a little bit. Let, let, go, me, go let me comment on the Lincoln thing. Sure. You, 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 you sparked something with me. I couldn't agree more with you on, on that piece. I think if you go to the Lincoln Memorial at night oh, in Washington man. and you read that gift address yes. on the wall, I mean, it really is moving at night especially. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, there's a yeah. couple of moments you go through like our nation history where key decisions were made yeah. and really changed the face of this nation. Yeah. And I don't know if Lincoln gets the credit he deserves for Not when the war finally ended. Yeah. And there was a lot of folks on the Union side who said, all right, let's get our payback now. Right. And he was the first to say, war's over. Right. We're going to bring everyone together. And right. if you think how today's politics goes, right. there's there's never any understanding of the other side. There's no there's no conciliatory you know, nature right. of the other side. It is just how can I be against my enemy today? And that's not the way... The, the, the founding fathers and the early leaders viewed it. They fought hard on their right. convictions, but when it was time to put the country first and the greater good first, they stepped up and did it. And, and, take, and, and take the hit. Yeah. Take the hit for, you know, you won what you were pushing for, won, it survived. You have to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to be able to get revenge or be, you know, be vengeful in this regard because the next battle is coming. And when I look at where we are now, again, this keeps coming up. It's happened so many times in a row this time of the year that people are going, you know, I do believe that there, and I've had these conversations, people who believe it's all made up. There's no budget deficit. They're making it up. When the truth is, as you and I know, there is indeed a shortfall, a gap that we have to close. So the overwhelming majority of that is because of the one cent that is going to go away in weeks. And there has been debate over whether we replace a quarter of that, half of that, or the people who want all of that. So if you could, and let's, you know, you and I are into this stuff all the time, but for the layman's listening, the layman listening to this and saying, okay, I want to understand what's going on. How would you professor them, if I may use that as a verb, through this? So the fiscal cliff we have right now is because two years ago, temporary taxes were passed. Right. They roll off July 1. Mm-hmm. In July, most folks agree the, the hole there is about a billion dollars. Right. The governor uses 994. The fiscal office uses a little bit lower, actually, mm-hmm. about 738. We're going to go with 994 for okay. right now. After 994, if that rolls off in July 1, so if you don't replace those taxes, that goes away. You have to cut $994 million out of the budget. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we talked earlier about 3.4 being petty cash. It comes out of petty cash, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, you take some things off the top of that, though. So of that 994, I would subtract 302 million. Right. That 302 is basically the amount of money state government will benefit mm-hmm. because of some of the federal tax yeah, changes. Trump taxes. So mm-hmm. if you drop that down to your mid sixes, I yeah. think most people feel like that's probably the reliable, true number that's there. Mm-hmm. And so then the debate is okay, if we're mid 600, what mix of re- tax increases? or cuts and or both should should be in there. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's playing out in the Capitol right yeah, now. Yeah. And so I definitely think they should spend this general session right. really doing what they can on the revenue reduction side, on the spending reform side. Mm-hmm. And then once they get on that, they'll come back in June and, um, and do the final revenue piece. If I had to crystal ball it, I think they'll find themselves in a June session with a, a smaller piece to, to, to get to than they had in the last session, maybe a couple hundred million dollars. And I think you'll see some version of that sales tax bill that came up last time get a lot of attention again. Spitball it for us. How, how much of that do you think will stick around? Permanently? Yeah. Or at least extended. Do, well, maybe maybe I'm, I'm burying the lead there. Do you believe that whatever happens with that will be an extension to continue to try to solve it? Or do you think it's going to be etched in stone as permanent in some way or another? So, um Permanent versus temporary. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the inside the legislature, I think there is a recognition, and I think it's the right one, mm-hmm. that the the options on the table aren't sound economic policy. They're just cash, you know, available. Right. And so, in a perfect world, they would like to do another temporary piece, maybe to a constitutional convention being completed or not. So that is, I think, where they would prefer to go. Mm-hmm. Having said that, Wall Street is telling them, and the bond rating agencies, especially, are telling them that you know. We'd like something permanent here. And so you hear that pushback in the building. So okay. permanent has some push from um, uh, those that worry about bond ratings, mm-hmm. from those that don't like the policy, temporary is there. I think at the end of the day, it'll be more likely temporary. Okay. But I could be wrong on that. Maybe a couple of years temporary. The, the debate on both sides has been Republicans saying we have a spending problem. We need to do something about the way that we spend this money, the money we give away, whether it is to NGOs or money that we are losing because of how we tax business and the tedious way that we tax businesses. Let's open that up. Look at that. Let's make us more attractive for businesses. Democrats on the other side have said, really, our budget deficit is caused by so many of these you know, multi-million dollar companies not paying much back to Louisiana and that you want to close the gap on the quote unquote backs of poor Louisianans. Now, that's what's going on. Obviously, you represent the business industry in Louisiana. You are a conservative. But those are the two arguments. What do you say to those being thrown out there? You know, the the. Those peddling that this is all business's fault while we're in this problem and that's why our tax code is not competitive, I mean, it is factually a a lie. I won't even say an error. I would say a lie. Why? And it's somewhat been proven several times, but you're not going to get that coverage. The political consultants are telling them to keep pounding it. that, 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 That rhetoric's not going anywhere. But... If you look at what the state share is, so businesses pay 49% of all taxes in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. The national average is about 44%. So we're about five percentage points higher in this state. But I would say that's roughly on average. So I think business pays its quote-unquote fair share here, just like any other state. There's always that healthy balance you have there. Exemptions are what are usually used as the the stalking horse of Mm -hmm. why, you know, we have too many exemptions in the code. And what I always tell folks is, okay, what are the top five exemptions? Show me what they are and let's look at them. Well, I can tell you what they are. You know, number one is the federal income tax deduction. Right. That's 
that's individuals and business. Everyone benefits. And if we just mentioned about $300 million is going to go up because mm-hmm. of the state, the, the state issues with the federal tax bill. Number two is the S-Corp exemption. All that is is a lot of businesses today, they pay their taxes through their personal filings mm-hmm. as compared to the corporate filings. Right. If I had to guess, Clay Young Enterprises pays their taxes through the personal income tax code, mm-hmm. just like most LLCs and right. subchapter S's do. Right. It's very common throughout right. America. In Louisiana, what they say is, since a business pays their taxes through personal, we're not going to make them double pay in business. So it's, right. it's not really an exemption. Right. Number three is groceries. If you, when you go to the grocery store, you don't pay taxes on, on, on food. That's an exemption. Number four, prescriptions. You got that sinus infection, you go get some medicine, you don't pay taxes on it. And number five is excess itemized. That is charities to your church and your mortgage. So the big exemptions are food, drugs, federal income tax deductions, and your charities and your mortgage. That's the big ones out there. Now, that is not a corporate entity. Mm -hmm. That is not big business. That is largely individual. And so the rhetoric doesn't match the substance. Mm-hmm. People are being sold a bill of goods, and, and it's not fair. They're basically saying that corporations are getting all these exemptions, and that's why we're in a deficit. It's not true. It's because we spend too high. And How? Like, explain why. Why do you say that? We're in a state that doesn't seem to have a lot of money, even even though the budget is, is, has swelled so much. And, and we both talked about largely that's because of the influx of federal dollars. But why do you think we have a spending problem? Because we're close to $30 billion, which per capita puts us as, at the highest state spender in the South. And that's largely who we compete with. I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm going to steal jobs from somebody, it's going to be Texas or Mississippi yeah. or Arkansas or Florida or Alabama where I'm trying to get them from. And we're tied with Kentucky for the top spender in the South. And the bottom four are Texas, Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee. So they're not spending their way at the state level through prosper- prosperity. And so I would say more local spending would be the right way to go, but mm-hmm. local taxation would be the right way to go. We have tried the heavy state-handed approach. It's not leading to right. anything that we want in terms of schools and roads and economy. You know, if you spend less but the poorest part of the, of the state remain, you still have those areas that are a heavier weight for communities, cities, parishes to carry that still sticks around. Mm-hmm. You cut out some of the spending. You allow businesses to keep even more of their money. How, how do you account for that? How do you, you know, reconcile it back to level with that reality still remaining? There, there's this misperception in my mind in Louisiana that you're not helping someone in poverty unless it's through a state program or a state check. That, and I, I just fundamentally disagree with that. Well, I think that. if you give people an opportunity to work, have jobs, um, have their, their kids have a chance to get an education in a safe school, I think that's an expectation that people ought to be able to have. Well, we say that, but that's not how we've governed ourselves for 100 years. You can, I can go to some of my – you pick a manufacturer in Louisiana. Out, not, don't even go to the big boys. Go to some of these small manufacturers throughout the state, mm-hmm. and you walk around their floor, and you ask their, their floor managers – which one of these employees that we're looking at right now, when are they going to quit? And they can almost go to the day and tell you, see that person over there? My guess is they quit sometime in July because employees have been taught in Louisiana there's a certain amount of time you work to maximize your private pay, and there's a certain amount of time that you stay unemployed to maximize your benefits. Wow. That's a bad incentive that we are sending from the government. Wow. I mean, why aren't we in, in sending a different incentive that we want those people, if they're unhappy in their jobs, to go to training and then mm-hmm. we get them better jobs? Why aren't we incentivizing them to go back to school if they need to, to go do something else? We're incentivizing them to not work all year long 
Because they're not stupid. They're like, look, that the, the numbers don't pan out as well. Why is Tops such a political football right now in the last 18 months? I mean, it's always been something people talked about, but it's been white hot the last year and a half or so. What's I, up? I, I think Tops is, 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 is politically hot for a couple of reasons. One, it's one of the few unprotected things in our budget. Mm-hmm. And so while it's got a little bit of dedicated funding, not a whole lot. And so anytime a political figure wants to use that as leverage to, to get something else done. I remember a couple of years ago when the governor said, hey, we're not going to have football at LSU. We're not going to have tops. I mean, that was to create yeah. the angst out there to get those revenues. So that's that one, didn't work too well. It didn't work too well. But that, that's why it's used as a leverage. And it's yeah. really unfair because the, the students out there and the families are left in the, in the crosshairs, and it's really problematic. The other reason why it's a, it's a you know political football, as you said, is because there are a large number of middle-class families who would like to send their kids to public schools, but they feel like that it's not an option for them because either performance or safety or whatever yeah. the rationale, and so they have to pay for private school. And so you have a lot of families out there who say, you know what, I work hard, I have two jobs, my, my spouse has another one, we do everything we can, we pay for private school because we're worried about little Johnny or little Jane, and by the time they get to college, gosh darn it, it's time for the state to do their part for me. And so it's almost like this. But the kids have to earn it. I mean, yeah. the kids have to and meet look, the criteria for it. It isn't it isn't a quote unquote handout in the way that no, people say not. that these no. kids have to qualify for no, it and then maintain it. Now, I do think there's something to be said about a kid getting tops and then, you know, taking the money and then dropping out or doing something else. I, maybe that's something that can be addressed. But in the interim leading up to it, they did everything that they were required to do to get the money. Correct. Yeah. Look, I, I, I strongly support tops. And I think that's one of the things that should be protected if you're yeah. going to have dedications out there. Should the standards be increased to make sure that we're always yeah. pushing kids to sure. be better? I, I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't have a problem with yeah. the moderate uptake because not only would that encourage kids to do better in school, quite right. frankly, it will also more properly place some kids. There are no some question. kids who are going to sit at a four-year right now that they'd be better off going to a two-year right. and either transferring over going to the Absolutely. workforce. But even if, like, let, let's say the, the politicians kill tops at, at some point. And look, don't be wrong, I hope that never happens. Right. But let's say they do those dollars are still going to go into higher ed. So right. it's not like it's taking away from higher ed. Right. It's just investing through the student. Okay. And so I think it's more of a political issue as being threatened. Look, TOPS is going to be funded. It should be. Mm-hmm. If you want to reform the system, take a look at the academic standards so you can make sure that you're putting kids in the right program. So here's the big question. All right. Your name's out there as, as someone that people are talking about as a candidate for governor. Well. Crickets. <laughs> crickets um what, what i would tell you is this um i think right now we're in the middle of this fiscal cliff session we're in the middle of this issue i'm 100 focused on that and i'm going to stay focused on that and we get on the back side of this oh no you know, i can't can re- get away with oh, that. that's the deal come on, come on man listen listen it's next year that's right it's next year they're a smart guy there's lots of smart guys out there what i would say <laughs> is louisiana in the next well, i'll say five years they need a governor and yeah. a legislature that is absolutely committed to building the state that we yeah. have long deserved, but we've never got. Is your answer you don't know if you're running? Because your answer isn't you're not running. I'm, we're not even going to entertain the fact you, you, you're not going to say, ah, oh, it's not on my radar. And you certainly aren't going to say, I have the job I want right yeah, now. No, you're not going to say that one. No <laughs> uh, but but it is, it's out there as a possibility. 
Is that fair? What, I, what I'm saying is, and, I'm, and I mean this, right now we're in the middle of some really serious decisions on the sure. budget and the cliff, and I don't think injecting politics is the right thing to do. Okay. There's a proper time. So in other words, you don't want, because of what we're going on, you don't want people to perceive your motivations or intentions as being about that. My motivations are not about that. My right. motivations are about improving this state. And, and right now I'm wholly focused on doing that. And I think every other politician, whether elected or non-elected, should sure. be doing the same focus. As soon as these sessions are over, don't worry, folks, we'll get him back in here. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 fair. it's a fair point because of all the stuff we got going on right now. And there is a little too much politics involved like in it. And like so, it. But when the sessions are over... We'll get Wags back in the building. His name's already on the door, uh, right above Richard Condon's, which every time people are in there, they see that. (laughs) If I had known he was going to put that on that door, uh, but I should have expected it. You know, a funny story is a buddy of mine, Ryan Gisclair, comes in, and he signs there, like right by the the doorknob, and under his daughter, uh, Lila Grace, signed, and there was a picture of her signing the door that went out on social media, and we were unaware when we didn't realize it when we took the picture that she was standing right next to what Condon wrote. You always got to watch who you're standing next to. That is the name of that game. <laughs> That's true on a whole lot of That's levels. Right. All right. So let's talk again during the session and just kind of tell people what's going on. There is going to be a, a special. We don't know whether it'll be back into May or first part of June before we get to the end of June. And we would like you to come back and explain it. And I know, I know it's difficult for you to get here every time, but we can do it via yeah, phone. Yeah, no, if glad you could. to do it. And I tell you, July one is where the new fiscal year starts for the state. Right. So for folks out there listening, July one is the name of the game. And so something will happen in June, one way or another. How can people get information on Lobby and then what you're doing? Yeah, there? labi.org is our website. It's everything you want there and more. We have a benefit center, issue papers, all that stuff. You can also sign up for our daily updates. And so during the session, we send out daily blast each and every day on the issues coming up. Sign up, get to know more about the issues. Our, our view is, as businesses of all sizes get more informed of what's going on in the Capitol and in mm-hmm. D.C., the more better off we can get some good sound policy out of it. It's been one of the few positives that, there's, that, there's, uh, that has come out of social media is the amount of information people now have about that's how right. a lot of this works. And that's the truth. I mean, you can get so much information before you had to only go to PAR or, or go to some town hall to find out what was going public affairs research council. But now... You can go on social media and find stories and research and everything. And it's one of the few positives out but, there. But you can also find misinformation on social media. Well, that's the other part of this. And, and, it's all, and I, that's why folks need to get a lot of different opinions yeah. and make their own decisions. Yeah. Well, get our stuff, get other f- folks' stuff, and take put your own opinion out there. Social media has created a lot of access. Yeah. It hasn't always created the, uh, the all the accurate access. You think? Yeah, I think. Stephen Wagaspak, the head of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry. Thank you, brother. Pleasure being here. I appreciate the invite. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. And now, today's Manners Minute. 
One of my favorite childhood pastimes was coloring, and Santa knew it. Every Christmas, a cardboard chimney filled with coloring books, crayons, and paints was tucked under the tree just for me. I still get excited to hold a new box of crayons, multiple colors of perfect points standing in perfect rows, sharpened, just waiting to help make something beautiful. For more than 100 years, Benny and Smith have used the same formula to create Crayola crayons. No need to change it. They got it right in the beginning. Today, they produce 12 million crayons per day, all with the same formula. Just like a box of crayons filled with different colors, we're all made from the same stuff. We may look different on the outside, but on the inside, we're all the same. Why hesitate to talk to someone of a different color? We're all made from the same great stuff. Visit hashtag BRRespect at mannersoftheheart.org to join the movement and sign the pledge. With respect, Baton Rouge thrives. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. You should have seen the look on his face when I said, you're not going to say you got the job you already, you have the job you want, right? Some of you will remember where that reference comes from. But as you can tell, Wags has a, a pretty deep intellect and is very immersed in this. And we'll talk more as the session goes on. And I'll get lots of perspectives on what's happening there, both conservative and more liberal perspectives, Democrat and Republicans. Uh, we'll get people in to talk about what's going on and, and try not to keep it too wonky, too in the weeds, right? All right. Smoke them if you got them. Sunday, May 20th, Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row. Live music, live and silent auction, a grill station, a dessert station. Pest stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution will be on board. Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting will be on board. Geico Insurance is coming back. They're going to be on board. Don Juan Cigar Company, back in the fold on board. I think we will be, we will be offering the Euroa again, the cigar from last year's event, maybe the last couple of years. Uh, that will be the featured cigar at the event. We will have a wine ta- uh, whiskey tasting going on for people who want to participate in that. Insurance Procurement Services, my buddy Brian Bennett, they present the grill station. They will certainly be out there. Uh, Guarantee Media will be a part of this as our media partners in promoting this event. Matt Williams of WAFB-TV will be the MC of the event. We will have the National Anthem. And Ben 77 Bistro, obviously, is the place where the event takes place. They're also a sponsor. Brian Dykes and his amazing team there will be helping to put this event on. And the title sponsor for the 2018 Smoke Em If You Got Em, the fifth anniversary of this event, benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, of which Taya Kyle will be in, in attendance for the event, meeting you. That sponsor is Mockler Beverage. Tim Mockler and I have talked about this for a little while. In fact, Tim and I recently sat down and had lunch as you are listening to this. And they are coming on board as the title sponsor for the fifth anniversary, the fifth edition of Smoke Em If You Got Em. You can expect that there. Now, we have some surprises for this year's event In fact, you know what I'm probably going to do is not leave many things on the table unsaid. Maybe a couple, but we're going to give you most of the details of what you can expect at this year's event. 
and we appreciate Mockler Beverage being a part of this and coming on board and being our presenting sponsor for this year's Smoke'em. So if you have not put this in your calendar, you should put it in your calendar. It's an opportunity to come out and support military veterans and first responders and intermingle with people of all kinds. It's a very diverse crowd. It's very laid back in the atmosphere. It's, in my opinion, the biggest and best cigar party Baton Rouge puts on, and it's for a great cause, and we give them 100% of the money. In fact, I say this all the time because I'm very proud of this fact, that when sponsors sign on to be a presenting sponsor or a uh, title sponsor, rather, or one of the secondary sponsors for the event, the check is written to the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. And some of the in-kind services are benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. When you buy your ticket online, it's on a page on the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation's website. When you come to the event and you pay for your ticket to come in, you're paying the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. That's where the money is going. They take the cash. They get the card swipes. When you are buying auction items, they take the money. I have fixed, set this thing up in a way to where I don't have to handle, and it's not a, not that I couldn't or that I won't, but so often people tell you all of the proceeds go to XYZ, and then you find out that they get 30% of whatever was made, raised. Not here. We give all the money away. And it's one thing, one one thing. I, there's a hell of a lot of stuff that goes on every year that I'm either a part of or donating money to. But this is the only one that's coordinated in-house here and we put on. And I'm so happy for it. So again, if you know anybody at Mockler Beverage, if you can shop their products, please do and support the businesses that support the people we care about. And I look forward to having them at Smoke'em if you got him. And we'll even talk Tim into coming up and saying something and see if Patrick can be there as well. And just thankful to the Mocklers who have been one of the leading families here in Baton Rouge for so many years. The work that Gary did setting up that company and then bringing his boys in. And, you know, now they have kids and 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 not just children, but adult children. And it's it's amazing. So there it is. That's our title sponsor for this year's Smoke'em. And I look forward to seeing you there okay all right and with that we will get out of here with the intention of having part two of our conversation on saint george next week the other side of the coin that should be interesting yep and we'll get her done next week so until then have a great one thanks for listening join us next week for another edition of the clay young show